Montevilla Church Sermons. Hello, Montevilla family. It's good to be back with you again. Welcome to 2021, and that means we are done with 2020. Uh, 2021, a time of new beginnings, and perhaps in reviewing the last year, that might not be a bad thing to have some new beginnings. Before we get started this morning, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for this time that we can be together as a family. Lord, we ask you to open your word to us and that we would hear your encouragement and your, uh, your desire for us to be your children. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and open with our passage. Um, this is our starting passage. We're going to be all over scripture today, so uh, keep it ready and uh, we'll get moving. All right. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like ordinary people? You see, that seems like a really odd place to start 2021. Well, and again, we want to actually encourage in a direction. So first thing in Corinthians, uh, you remember the Corinthian church. Corinth itself was a very odd city, and there were a lot of um, chances to do sin in creative ways. And the church at Corinth had come from that, and we're still wrestling with some of those things. And so some of the admonition that Paul has in both First and Second Corinthians was in light of some of the activities they'd been doing. However, one of the other things is that they were a con congregation that struggled with unity. And remember, right towards the beginning, he says, stop the division. Because some of you are saying, I follow Paul, others I follow Apollo, some I follow Cephas. And he said, stop being so divided. You see, he calls the people who are divided and fighting with each other, he calls them milk drinkers. So milk is something you feed a baby. So he's calling them spiritually immature. So what do we mean by milk? Well, Jody Mayhew puts it very well. She says that milk is nourishment that has been processed by someone else in order to feed someone who cannot feed themselves. In other words, milk drinkers don't grow in their faith. They need other people to nudge them along. They're either unable or immature enough that they can't feed themselves. So with that in mind, you have people who probably aren't reading the word, maybe not going to church on a regular basis, but the big thing is they're not seeking God's face. You see, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I know we say, I prayed the prayer so I have a relationship. No, the question is, are you seeking him? It's not enough to say, I do, to my wife, unless I'm willing to, I do, every day and pursue her. In the same way, immature milk drinkers are not mature in their faith. So what does that actually look like? Well, a few things, a few illustrations. Uh, first of all, I want to point out that milk drinker, immature Christians, has nothing to do with age. Um, we often think about people who are older should be more mature, and I, I say should be. That's true. But I've met 18-year-old uh, Christians who are very mature in their faith, 
and are very much the solid food eaters, meat eaters, they are seeking Jesus fervently in every way possible. They're praying on a regular basis. They're conversing with Jesus. They are searching the scriptures. They are mentoring other people. And I've also, we've also known of those 70-year-old church members who haven't changed in the last 50 years, and they're still the crusty, old, grumpy curmudgeon they were when they got saved 50 years ago. So it's not an age thing. Second of all, well, probably the best way to illustrate this is to look back at the last year. So early on in the year, uh, I think it was January, February, we began to hear about this mystery disease going around China and, and starting to make people sick. And I noticed it because I have had students who are from that province in Wuhan, and so I was fervently praying for them, and then they shut the entire province down, and I thought, wow, that's pretty serious. That's like, that would never happen in, in, in America. We, we're never gonna be shut down completely because, well, that's not what we do. And lo and behold, you watch that one website where they were tracking it and it came across the ocean like a wave and suddenly hit us on the West Coast and the numbers got bigger and bigger and bigger until they said, we need to shut down. I thought, well, that's weird. And we're gonna shut it down for three weeks to flatten the curve. And as you remember, three weeks brought about fear and concern and nervousness and runs on toilet paper and things like that. And three weeks turned into six weeks. And six weeks turned into eight weeks. And by the time we got to eight weeks, people were not only frightened, but they were frustrated, they were angry, they were cantankerous, they were moody. We had all these things start happening, uh, rise in uh, relationships that were struggling. Uh, violence came about. Our violence came into the streets for various and sundry reasons in the early spring and never stopped, it seems. Uh, I remember waking up midsummer and uh, uh, praying, Lord, I, I hope that we had peace last night and I turn on the news and nope, we had another night of riots. Uh, Boy, that was hard to see. That was really hard to see. Um, and having friends who lived in those areas, uh, it was frightening. Um, so I would say the next thing that happened that was interesting is suddenly it went from the streets to it went to our friends. And suddenly people were arguing, masks, no masks, you know, lockdowns, no lockdowns. Obey the governor, don't disobey the governor, vote for this politician, vote for that politician. And everyone seemed to be taking sides. And that came into the church, that came into us, that happened with us as a body. And suddenly the people who were taking their sides were arguing and destroying each other. And then there were those who tried not to take a side. And they found out very quickly that was the wrong side. Because you have to take a side, otherwise, and this is the great line, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, which is terrible logic because it's, it actually says you have no choice but to agree with me. And people began to fight and argue and destroy each other. This is not a symptom of a healthy child of God. This is a symptom of a milk drinker. Uh, listen to what Galatians 5:14 says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And also in 1 Corinthians 1:10, now I urge you brothers and sisters, and these are children of God in our churches, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that no division be among you, 
but that you be made complete in the same mind and are in the same judgment. But you say, but I want to win my argument because I'm right. Okay. You have a right to your opinion. You have a right to hold your opinion. You don't have a right to impose it on other people. And let me ask you a question. Does it honor God to destroy relationships and destroy other people? Is being right worth it? See, that's a milk drinker thought. It all comes down to behavior that is fleshly. It is not of the spirit. So that's your milk drinkers. What do your solid food eaters, your meat eaters look like? Well, in this case, we're looking at two things, fruit and glory. Okay, fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Let me, let me read this, and, and I want to read just Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and I'm going to read it slowly. And then I'm going to ask you a question. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I love his conclusion here. Against such things there is no law. Those marks, those fruit, isn't that what you want in a friend? Isn't that someone who's a friend that will never leave you? Isn't that someone who's a friend that, that we can be with? Isn't that what we want our friends to be like? Isn't that what we want to be like so that people want to be encouraged by us? But let me try this the other way around. Let me read to you the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the flesh is a lack of love, no joy, unsettled, impatient, unkind, bad, faithless, harsh, and out of control. Does that sound familiar? Is that not what we've seen a lot from the world in the last year? See, when pressure is built, it seems that the true character of human beings rise to the top of whether it's gonna be a sweet smell or a rancid smell. When you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you don't have a lack of anything. You exhibit the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh, and that's it. So the fruit as, is a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So there are three responses to this. The first response is, I'm gonna put it on. This is another thing that I can do. It's another list of rules that I can keep and I'm going to do the fruit of the Spirit in my own flesh to prove how great I am to God. I'm going to do the fruit so I can get the Holy Spirit, which is backwards because the fruit come as a result of the Spirit in your life. It's not what you do to prove to get the Holy Spirit in your life. But when you put this on like a garment, like, a, like a, a jacket, you can actually do the fruit of the Spirit in your own strength. It's absolutely possible, but not all the fruit of the Spirit at the same time and not for very long. That's doing the Spirit in the flesh. So what we're trying to do when we seek to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our own strength is that we are doing something that only the Holy Spirit can do long-term, and we wear out. We eventually fail. And that's not to say that if you don't have all the fruit of the Spirit all the time that suddenly you're a failure. 
It's going to happen. But when you try to do the fruit of the Spirit in your own strength, number one, it doesn't look like the Holy Spirit living in you. I remember the first time I encountered someone like that, and he had a big smile on his face, and he was always really excited, and it really seemed like he was an uppers the entire time. And I knew this for about three months until it all broke down, and it was all in the flesh, and he had to admit that it was all a fake, and that he couldn't do that. And what came out of that was a humble man who sought God's face rather than someone who tried to fake it. So that's the first choice you can have with the Holy Spirit, is you can fake the Holy Spirit. Um, let me just give one word on that. 2 Corinthians 3, 6b gives us a conclusion on this. It says, for the letter kills. Old covenant, doing the rules. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit's going to make you live. The flesh won't. The flesh will kill you. Okay? You can't do this in your own strength. So, that's putting it on. The second one would be, oh yeah, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit, that's nice. Yeah, you can use that if you want to, but I don't need those emotions, okay? Uh, first of all, the fact that you would say, or anyone would say, that we don't need emotions is kind of audacious. And the second thing is, it's absurd to say that we don't need God-powered emotions, we desperately need that because that's the only way that we can actually relate to one another as human beings without destroying each other. So when we reduce the Holy Spirit, you, you suddenly make it less. And understand, the Holy Spirit is not rude. He's not going to force his way in. He might not give you many choices and he might put a lot of, of heat on you, but you still have a choice to respond to the Holy Spirit or not. The Holy Spirit is not going to force his way in. The Holy Spirit is a person. So he can be grieved, he can be diminished, he can be ignored. And this is where, you know, you might have someone with a good theology degree say, but Terry, 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 when I became a Christian, I received the Holy Spirit. I was sealed with the Spirit of God. You're absolutely right, absolutely agree with you on that. I'm not asking about a theological point. What I'm asking is, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Do you smell the way Jesus smelled. Second Corinthians talks about the presence of the Spirit of God in our life actually makes us smell differently to people. You say smell. Smell is the most powerful sense that we have. It is, it is the most unconscious and it's incredibly powerful and almost as uncontrollable at time, times so that when we go by someone who has the Spirit of God in them, there is a connection. You say, brother or sister, but someone who doesn't have the Spirit in them or is feeling guilty because in our presence they feel the guilt of their actions in their heart. It repels them. They don't want to be around that. It stinks to them. So when we do that, when we reduce the Holy Spirit, either theologically or because we don't need those emotions, number one, the fruit of the Spirit have emotions attached to them, but they are not primarily emotions. They are the mark of the presence of the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is in you, that is what is growing in you. Is it always 100%? No, but there's growth in that process. And if it's not there, there's a problem. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit, are you a milk drinker? Now, remember from Dwight's sermon last week when he talked about the, um, the fig tree, that when it wasn't producing figs, 
that Jesus cursed it and it died, I would say that is primarily because the primary job of the fig tree was to grow figs. And I would say the primary job of Christians is to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, we have to ask, why? Warning on this. At this point, many people fool themselves into believing that they are Christians, that they're in the club. I say the prayer, I said the prayer, I attend church, I go through my prayers on a regular basis, I read the Bible. Good. But so did the rich young ruler who had done all these things to become a Christian, and Jesus said, you lack one thing. Essentially, it was, hand your heart over to me. Romans 8, 9 warns, and this is a harsh one. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And that's a harsh one. He is saying that if you do not have the spirit of God in you, you have to ask why. If you're not full of the spirit of God, you have to ask why? What's going on? That's a significant question to ask. And I would encourage you, if you don't know the answer, go to your friends. Go to your spouse if you have one. Go to your parents if you're still living at home and saying, am I someone who's growing in the Spirit of God? Let us as a body grow together and help one another if we don't have those questions. If you don't care to ask that question, then the deeper question is, why do you not want to ask that question? Is it fear? Or is it because you know the answer? So we talk about what we do with the Holy Spirit, rejecting him or putting it on legalistically. There's a third choice, and that is transformation. Transformation, growth, more and more fruit, following Jesus, letting him f lead your steps, listening to what he tells you to do, conversing with Jesus, having conversations with Jesus, listening to him, obeying him, growing with him, that is where the fruit of the Spirit thrives in you. And it comes with something else, and that is glory. Now, glory is the manifest presence of God. And we've seen this in a number of places. Uh, if you want to remember, uh, when, when Moses was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments the second time, after he had broken the first set, when he was on the mountain the second time, he asked to see God's glory. And God said, it'll incinerate you. And Moses said, and? Um, so God put him in kind of a cave, covered him up, and then walked behind him and kind of showed him some of his glory. And remember, when he came off the hill, off the mountain, his face glowed with the glory of God. It was the reflection of the presence of God on his face that was so powerful, it freaked the people out. Because you see, that's not the first time that they had seen the glory of God. So when they came out of Egypt, they were led by a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And I'm thinking I've not seen anything like that. And when they were up against the Red Sea, the pillar came between them and the armies of Pharaoh. So it wasn't this little tiny thing, it was huge. It blocked a whole army. And while the, the children of Israel were walking on dry ground through the Red Sea, it blocked Pharaoh's army. And I have no idea why Pharaoh and his soldiers didn't look at that, go, wow, get out of the chariots, get on their knees, and say, you are the true God. Because I've never seen anything like that. That's a manifestation of the glory of God that was amazing. 
So they saw it there. They saw it leading them to Mount Sinai. When they got to Mount Sinai, they saw that and darkness and lightning and thunder and all that on the top of the mountain and it scared them. It freaked them out terribly. So when Moses came down, they saw that on his face and it scared them. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. But the ministry of death engraved in letters on stone, that would be the old covenant, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory on his face fading as it was. This is the glory of the old covenant through the presence of God that was still so powerful it scared them. Verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So there's a glory to the Old Covenant, to the Old Testament, to the Old Law, and there's a glory to the Spirit, which is even more. It's surpassing. For the ministry, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case, Old Covenant, has no glory compared to the new covenant because of the glory that surpasses it. It's so glorious, it makes it look like a dim candle. For if that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains is in glory. It's not going to be passing. It is staying here. That's the presence of God. That's the presence of God in us. That's what's in us so that it shines through. And again, Exodus 13, 21, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, it scared them. And here's the thing that we don't often see. In Deuteronomy 5, there's a retelling of the story that we find in Exodus. And Moses had gone up to the mountain and gotten the Ten Commandments. And he was down, and God, thunder, lightning, fire, smoke, uh, says, Come close to the mountain. Don't go on the mountain. Come close on the mountain, and I will instruct you on all I want for you to do. And in Deuteronomy 5, they say to Moses, these are the leaders of Israel, so these are the elders, and these are the tribal chieftains, and they say, you go near and listen to everything that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us everything that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will listen to it and do it. They said, we don't want to hear any more, otherwise we will die. They rejected, they disobeyed, they didn't come near. Moses not only came near, he embraced and sought even more of God's face. I would say one was a milk drinker opinion and the other was a solid, was a solid food opinion. That's what they both did with the glory of God. I've got a crazy little theory. Let me try it with you. What would have happened if those leaders of Israel would have obeyed? Instead of sending Moses in their stead, a mediator, which is good, but what if they had followed and actually gone to the foot of the mountain and listened to the voice of God? And they did that on a regular basis. And they got to know God because they were speaking with him. I do not believe that when Moses came down from the mountain, they would have had the problems with the golden bull, the golden calf. I don't think they would, because they would have said, no, we hear God's voice. We're connected to him. I don't believe they would have complained when they went through the wilderness for all those months to get to the promised land. 
I don't believe if they came and met regularly with God and heard his voice, that when they got to the Jordan River, that they would have sent out the 12 spies and then rebelled when 10 of them came back and said, they're too big, they're too nasty. I think the entire Old Testament from there on out would have been different because they chose to reject the glory of God while Moses chose to embrace the glory of God. Moses is known as the greatest prophet in Israel's history, specifically for one reason, because he spoke with God face to face. We have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to embrace God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just theologically com uh, acquiescing to his presence. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? And if you're not, if you're not sure, ask someone who loves you and cares about you and will tell you the truth. And if you're not, and you don't want to, the question is why. I encourage you, please, ask that question. Jesus, we, we love you. We love the fact that you came for us and that after your life, your execution, your burial and resurrection, your, 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 trans, uh, your, your move towards heaven, that you sent the Holy Spirit to us to fill us, that we might be changed, not just doing another set of rules, but that we can be actually transformed by your presence in our lives. We ask that for all of us. We don't want anyone to be left out. We want them all we want all of us to be transformed. We want an end to the conflict, an end to the arguing, an end to the fighting so that we might be unified in you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Montebello Church Sermons.